that's a half the But at the, at the same time, I had a sort of a technical question, which is thinking about feeling need request. Mm -hmm. As I was listening to you give the empathy, the, the request was always, I guess, implicit, like, have I got it right? Or, you know, um, and I, w I was wondering about You mean when I was empathizing? Yeah. Is, is the request... You no, know, when I'm empathizing with another person's pain, I assume that the present request is always for me to react to what they're saying in a way that they feel a connection at the heart level. I guess as to whether that would be best done verbally or silently. That's but I don't deal with the request yet, not when the other person's in pain, not until they're finished with the empathy. That's their request. It's their request, with my no, request. But there's no, when you're empathizing. When I'm empathizing with them. Yeah, is there any request that you're having inside other than have I The only right? request is, is am I connected with you to your satisfaction? Yeah. Either I say it verbally or it's in the form of a question, just a tone of voice. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, I noticed at one point you responded to her when you were the giraffe earlier by saying something like, you want me to know that my behavior in the past has contributed to your pain. So something like Stim that. It was a stimulus. stimulus. Contributed but didn't cause. See, yeah. It's a stimulus. That was my question. From In my mind, that's always a slippery slope in this kind of it's dialogue. It's a very slippery slope. The main thing is that I be conscious that I'm never the cause of the other person's pain, but I do want to take responsibility for my behavior. See, I'm responsible for what I did. The other person's responsible for how they took it. Okay. And that's a slippery thing, and it's a very important thing to keep that consciousness of what we are responsible for and what we cannot be responsible for. The very word responsible means response-able, able to respond. So I cannot take responsibility for something over which I have no control. So I cannot control how the other person takes what I do, which will affect how they feel. So I'm not responsible for that. But I am responsible for what I did. And if she were wanting in that moment for you to um, in some way acknowledge that what you did, you know, if, if she persisted in kind of trying to get you to say you're sorry or acknowledge that you did something to hurt me or whatever. I want you to acknowledge that, you know, you're responsible for my pain. Yeah. So you'd like some understanding for how painful this has been for you. More than that, I want you to see how the, you were responsible for it. You would like me to acknowledge that my behavior stimulated what happened, was the stimulus for what happened. Okay. Yes. No, I want you to see that you're the cause of my feelings. You hurt me. You hurt me. Yes. You want me to see the role that my behavior played in your feeling hurt. Okay. I'm willing to see it. It was a stimulus, but I... I and see, once I have this clear, I will never have to say, I'm not the cause of your feeling. I'm not responsible. See, I'm only saying that when I'm just getting this myself and I'm becoming conscious of how much of my life I've been tyrannized by other people's feelings. And so when we're breaking out of that prison, then you'll he you, you hear a person going through a stage I call emotionally obnoxious. <laughs> you see, Emotional slavery is when they feel responsible for other people's feelings. And then when they start to get a glimmer of how much of their life they're not leading by feeling responsible for others, 
to get this freedom. And then somebody else says, I'm frustrated that you didn't... I'm not responsible for your feelings. (laughs) Well... What if you did lose your temper and you were responsible for them? No. You couldn't hurt another person if you tried. I'm serious. You cannot hurt a person even if your intention is. For example, hurt me. (laughs) Go ahead, hurt me. Um, well, this is all good in, in the academic, but it doesn't work in the real world. Yes. And if I hear you, what you said, I would be hurt. But that would be my choice to hear what you said rather than what I was hearing was in your heart. If I hear what's in your heart, I'm not going to get hurt by that. I'll see an opportunity to learn something power- precious for me. Yeah, but what if, what if I lose my temper with my kid who doesn't have the maturity to, he, to separate my actions? He's still, he's still responsible <coughs> for taking it as he does, uh, technically responsible, but you are responsible for saying what you did, especially if you know that he's a, bi- a child that may not have giraffe ears. You're responsible for why we would say that, given that you have a pretty good prediction he's going to hear it with jackal ears. But the child is still the only one to control how he takes it. It was still his actions, his, his hearing it and believing it, that's the cause of his pain. We can show three, four, five-year-olds how to deal with a father like that. Well, when, when is my internal jackal just good superego to realize that I should have be more sensitive to my kids natural immaturity to take something. That's the responsibility I'd like you to be looking at. I'd like you to look at then why you are not changing your behavior. Uh, And then I'll work with the child and showing him what he can do even if you don't change. I don't want him to think that his security rests on whether you change or not. Hmm. And incidentally, I recently in Ojai, California, taught how to do this. We were dealing with how to hear jackal messages with giraffe ears, and I dealt with five groups in one day. The first group were the students aged six to nine, the next group 10 to 13, the next group 14 to 18. The fourth group I dealt with were the teachers, and the last group were the parents in the evening. The six-year-olds got it real quick. (laughs) The teachers, even though they had been in the, with the students when I did it with them, they still had a heck of a time with it. Because the kids had less programming to unlearn. Exactly, exactly. Fewer words being trained to hear criticism as criticism. You see, but if you can train them real quick, never hear what an adult thinks. You'll live longer. (laughs) And you'll learn more from them, you see, than if you hear what they think. It's toxic if your parents or your teachers have been educated to speak jackal. It's toxic to hear what they think. Yes? Uh, apologies, I have a question then. In apologies are not possible because apologies are based on the premise that somebody did something wrong. So rather than apologize, you say you, you regret your behavior? Yes, or? you mourn sincerely. You mm-hmm. mourn not that you did something wrong, but that you didn't meet your own needs. Everything that every human being has ever done is out of holy purposes to make life more wonderful. Now, sometimes our actions fulfill our needs to make life more wonderful, and sometimes they don't. 
So we need to celebrate when they do and mourn when they don't. And any kind of self-blame will interfere with the learning. No, so giraffe mourning, it sounds something like I was about to do some giraffe mourning, uh, but we didn't stay in the role long enough. If I had been in, in your place, I might have mourned this way. I might have, first of all, wanted to celebrate and say how touched I was that you, given how vulnerable you feel, that you shared so much of yourself with me just now, and I can't think of a more precious gift that I could have received. And I'm sad right now because I would have liked to have been much more sensitive to your pain than I was. See, I didn't do anything wrong, but I sh it would have been much easier for me to hate myself in one respect, because I'm so used to that. We get so trained to hate ourselves in a jackal world. But to really mourn requires going more deeply into myself. It's in many respects more scary to see just how sad I am, how I would have liked to have been more aware. But the other person won't have to pay for that. But they'll have to pay for it if I apologize. Because they're a stimulus now for my guilt, shame. And every time a person is a stimulus for our apology, they're going to pay for it. Because to whatever degree they are a stimulus for what makes me apologize, I'm going to have it harder to give to them out of a good energy in the future. There'll be a part of me that's giving to avoid the judgment that I agreed with. I felt so stuck with constantly this sense of this energy in the space of being blamed and feeling guilty and not being able to be free of something kind of hovering over me um, mm -hmm. in my, in my uh, inability to mm -hmm. have communication intimate communication effectively. So um, I really appreciate that distinction very much. It's kind of a doorway to freedom. <laughs> Finally stop blaming myself about it. Be careful about the objective of stop blaming. Uh -huh. So you never set an objective to <laughs> get rid of something. Well, when it, always, when I blame set, myself always set your objectives to what you want to do differently that will be more effective and less costly. Never try to get rid of something. How about I have an opportunity to learn and grow from everything I do every day, and that's now a we're new getting opportunity. It. Now we're getting it. Now that's every time I do something that doesn't meet my needs, uh -huh. I want to use it as an opportunity to grow and learn. Now you can put the negative in there rather than to beat myself up. But the main thing we need to do is to get clear what the new option is. Mm -hmm. I learned this the hard way many years ago. I put this in the workshop. Uh, it was during the Vietnam War and I was on the uh, television debating uh, the, the, the war with an editor of one of the local newspapers in St. Louis. And this was taped, videotaped, so I could go home and watch it later on, you see, in the evening. So I'm watching myself now, and oh my God, there I am doing everything I can't stand when other people do it in a debate. I'm a total jackal if ever you've seen one. Oh, it was painful to watch, but I said, okay, I don't, if the next time I'm in that situation, I don't want to do A, I don't want to do B, I don't want to do C, okay? 
Yeah, apparently people like these kind of blood-curdling things in the, because they got a lot of listener reaction and I was invited to continue the debate with him. <laughs> people love violence, you see, so I'm in, I was invited back to continue the debate the next week. They had a lot of listener reaction to this. So the next week, though, I'm going to now be a good giraffe, so all the way down to the television studio, I'm saying, now remember, don't do A, don't do B, don't do C, don't do A, don't do B, don't do C. The program starts and he comes at me the way he had the previous week and for 10 seconds I was beautiful. I didn't do A, I didn't do B, I didn't do C. I just stood there like this. <laughs> and can you guess what I did after 10 seconds? A, B, and C and I made up for the lost 10 seconds. You see? <laughs> and that taught me, you know, it's not enough to get clear what I don't want. In, in those situations, I have to get crystal clear what I want to do instead that's more likely to get my needs met and create less problems. Yes? Just, just for my own clarity, when you say you know, you're not responsible for what something happens to somebody else, uh, you're not talking physically. You know, it's no, you beat not someone up, they're not responsible for having a I'm, I'm responsible. Well, even there, technically, if we want to get real philosophical about it, I'm still responsible for my actions. Right. And nature is responsible for the other person's death. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't say that the other person is responsible for no, the other person's no, no, death. No, not for their death. Because you're no. saying in the other case, on a verbal level, that we are responsible for our own pain if somebody says something nasty to us yes. and we take it yes. in. Yes. But you wouldn't say the same thing if somebody, you know, cuts our stomach open. Exactly. Or, okay. You see, and, if you, so and, if you, and, and this would come so powerful to you if you followed me around in my work when you see, uh, like I have a friend from Rwanda who was hiding underneath the sink when, and heard her three children being killed, her husband, uh, her brother, and for 11 days, she survived by hiding underneath there because the people who killed them stayed in the house. So she had to sneak out at night to get a little water to survive and get back underneath there. And then the, each day they would celebrate, uh, that she would hear them celebrating how they killed the people. Now, I know this woman very, very well, and she's never been angry. She hasn't repressed any anger, you see? Now, I can get ready to kill somebody who's taking too long in the checkout line of the grocery store, you see? So... You can't make somebody angry, even if you kill their family. It's how we look at it. Now, this woman looked at it in a way that created great pain. She, I would call it natural pain. She suffered immensely, but the way she looked at it, the kind of pain she felt, has led her to unceasing efforts to prevent this happening to anybody else. And why did she originally come into my workshops with such a giraffe orientation to the world? Because she wasn't knowing how to deal with other people from her own tribe who had similar things that hate her because she's working for reconciliation rather than wanting to gain vengeance, you see? So the majority of the people in her tribe had similar things happen. They have such rage. All they can do is live for the day when they're going to get revenge. And all of her energy is going into preventing this happen to other people. What stimulus could more powerful than that? Your family being killed. Even that can't make us feel anything. It's how we react to it.
good morning, love. I had to learn you never come alone. And when I shut out hurting, something in me turns to stone. To be in touch with tenderness, I bear my blood and bone. And I'm so glad to have you back again. Good morning, pain. Good morning, joy. Good morning, love. Who's ready to do some work? So let's start over my left will work around. You got one? Come on up here. I'm going to need your help. <laughs> no, you got 40 giraffe supporters out there. <laughs> but there's three jackals hidden in the crowd, so watch what you're going to do. Okay. What is this person? Uh, did you start with uh, what this person says that's a challenging thing to hear? Um, yeah. What, what did this person say? This person said, um, this has nothing to do with me. Speak to your father. And this is my father's partner, not my mother. This has nothing to do with me. Speak to your father. Yeah, this is a woman I'd like to nonviolently kill. <laughs> Well, now, if, if you know that, <laughs> would somebody else like to do this role play? Uh, <coughs> if you know already that uh, you have that kind of anger toward a person, then we wouldn't even approach them uh -huh. until you first had gotten rid of all enemy images of the person. See? The, kind wow. of, the kind of thinking, in other words, that makes you angry. While you still have that, you will create in that person the very thing that you're concerned about. I think that's true. And uh, so should I pick a different person or should I work on that? <laughs> no, this is the perfect person okay. to work on. Okay. Because our most ugly, aggravating jackal is our best guru. Mm. See, we stand more to benefit, more to learn from those people whose beauty we cannot see mm -hmm. than anybody else. They're, they're our best teachers. So, let's go to work, first of all, on anger. Let's, let's see how to deal with anger. And we'll give everybody a chance to practice this, okay? So, so all of you, think of somebody at the moment who's behaving some, in a way that stimulates you in the way that she is stimulated by this person. You have nice, aggressive fantasies toward them. And for those of you who have never been angry, you can't even imagine getting that angry, so you, that you can participate in this exercise, I'm going to give you the telephone number of my brother. Call him up, and in, within five minutes, you will be angry. Okay? Anybody need his number? I tease him about this all the time. I said, you know, you're famous all over the world. So if you get some strange calls, uh, you'll know <laughs> that people are wanting to get angry. Okay, write the stimulus for your anger down. What did this person say or do that was a stimulus for your anger? And while they're writing that down, 
what is this person's stimulus? What has this person done that was a stimulus for your anger? No, we're going to start with you. What, what was this uh, person's stimulus? Um, um, <clears throat> uh, I, I haven't been allowed to see my father. Yes, that's a diagnosis. I asked for a stimulus. That's the cause of your anger, that you interpret it that way. That she's not allowing you to see your father, and that's not right, and she has no right to keep you from him, <laughs> and so forth. We're going to get to that next. That's the cause of your anger. What's the stimulus? What did she say? She said, um, she pretty much said what I said. She said, this has nothing to do with me. Speak to your father. Okay. And that's the, the She stimulus. won't let me talk to her about it. No, won't let me. That's a diagnosis. Yeah. So she has said, this has nothing to do with me. Talk mm. to your father. That's the stimulus, you see. So let's hear some other stimuli for the anger. What else have you written down? The person said, you need to be criticized. That's what I'm leaving and it's your fault. Yes. You never. You never. And if you're a jackal, you'll remember one time 12 years ago you did. <laughs> Just to prove that never is not accurate. You always. Same thing. <laughs> but they, they said that, you always. Okay. You're always angry. You're always angry. You're not listening. You're not listening. Yes. Talk when I'm trying to talk. They talk when you're trying to talk. <laughs> All of the things that you just said the other person can say can't make us angry. Just doesn't have the power to do that. Okay. So now I want you to write down the cause of the anger this way. When the person does this, I feel angry because. What is the cause of your anger? And let's have you answer the same thing. When, when, I, when this person says, this has nothing to do with me. You have to speak to your father. When this person says this, you feel angry because why? Uh, I feel powerless, and I feel uh, cut off from my father. Not feel cut off. You in, first, it, it, it's not your feeling of powerless that makes you angry. That's, that's a separate feeling. You also mm -hmm. feel powerless. You feel angry. Mm -hmm. But you interpret this person as cutting you off. Mm -hmm. so you have a violent mm -hmm. image of this person. All the person mm -hmm. said is, this has nothing to do with me. But you interpreted this as this person is cutting you off from your father. And that's what makes you angry. Mm -hmm. It's not this person. Yeah, I'm just doing my work. Yeah, you want to know more? No, that, that okay. answered my question. I just want you to be conscious that this person isn't making you angry. It's that thought that makes you angry, that they are cutting you off from your father. Because I will bet you that that is associated in your thinking with the violent word, the violent S-H word. I hate to say it out loud. 
they shouldn't cut you off from you. Don't you? Do you believe that that they shouldn't do that to you? Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> See, it's the sh word that makes us angry. If we didn't have the SH word in our consciousness, we wouldn't have so much violence. But the SH word, that's why I don't like to say it out loud, see, because I think it creates great violence on our planet, the SH word. Because it's a basically, a, in a sense, it's a handy abbreviation. Because the SH word basically means the other person is bad and deserving of punishment. See, it's all contained in that SH word. It's just an abbreviation, since we use it so much and we have so much violence that we want to blame and So it's kind of an abbreviation. We don't even have to say it. It's implicit, you see. Mm -hmm. It goes with cutting me off from the family. Mm -hmm. and anybody will tell you, you shouldn't do that to a daughter. You shouldn't cut a daughter off from the father. Mm -hmm. Yes, what, is your, what makes you angry when people talk when you're talking? Mm -hmm. What's the cause of your anger? Yes. You have, double, you have a double jackal in there. First of all, you're interpreting them as not being fair, not giving you a fair chance. And the double jackal is, uh, they shouldn't do that. The reason I asked you to raise my hand a second ago, if somebody says to you, you know, you, you should do da-da-da, uh, do, uh, do you want to empathize with them? Do you ask them, do you think I should? No, I don't. Remember what I said? Never hear what a jackal thinks, especially never hear the should word. Ne don't hear it. Don't go there. Life isn't fun when we join the person in their thinking. Go to their heart. There's no should in the heart. Of all the things never to hear coming from another person, it's you should, especially someone in authority. I hope everybody in here has already got your children convinced of that. You tell your children, never hear what I say you should do. You've all told your children that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes? If I say that I need um, equality and financial support for our son, doesn't that imply a spirit? No. No? No. I think what you're saying is it's hard for you not to have that should in there. Because you have all kinds of thoughts about this rascal, such as what? What do you think about me for not giving you that support? In addition, that I should. What do you think about me that makes you so angry? You're irresponsible. Yes. Yes. You're selfish. Yes. Yeah. 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 She doesn't need help at this level. <laughs> she was doing quite all right without your help. What else? Anything else? Shirking his duties. Neglecting his son. And he's still alive? You haven't killed him yet with all of that going on inside? Man, you have good anger control. I've beaten people for less. Okay? Yeah, any one of those words, you see. But, you know, the problem is you pay for those words. Every time you think that, you pay for it. 
if you want to read what I say, uh, read about type A thinking and the effect that it has on uh, heart disease. Type A thinking is in the technical uh, research in medicine, basically what I call jackal thinking, you know, irresponsible, shirking, this kind of thinking that makes us angry. High correlation, the more people think this way, the more blood, the more heart disease. Because it's not only destructive to our spirit, it's also very destructive to our bodies. Because these are not natural feelings, you see. I'll show you what I mean by natural feelings. See, as in Daniel Goldman's book, uh, Emotional Intelligence, when a need isn't getting met, it gives off energy, which we call feelings. The feelings tell us the need isn't getting met. They mobilize us for action, to get something done. So this wonderful energy gets channeled into need-serving action. So a dog gets hungry, and it doesn't just sit there and say, oh, wonderful, I'm hungry, you know. It gets, starts to act for the purpose of getting some food. Any living phenomenon, this happens. The need, when it's not being met, needs an energy source, which is the feelings. But we human beings have had this trick played on us that I told you about earlier today. So the need isn't getting met, but we don't have a need consciousness. We've been educated not to be in touch with our needs. So we go to enemy images. He should. He's irresponsible. That's selfish. Shirking duty. Oh, we have, we've had our head filled with thousands of these, you see. And when our head is filled this way, we are going to feel one of four feelings. Depression, guilt, and shame if we direct the judgment to ourselves. See, if I think I was irresponsible, I feel guilt, shame. If I think I'm a failure, depression. But if we direct it outward, anger. But notice what's happened. We're, we're cut off from life. We're not really alive. We're not in touch with life. And then, what kind of energy does this give us? Punitive actions, not, not need-serving actions. We want to blame and punish this rascal. Yeah, there's a need down there, and it isn't getting met. But we've lost connection with that. When we're up in our head judging the other person, all we want is to see that person suffer. Especially if we have the other dangerous word in our head, along with the SH word, you see. So much of our violence comes from the SH word and the DE word. Deserve, yes. You see. Deserve. All you got to do is think somebody deserves something, and oh, you're violent. Think that because somebody does something, they deserve to be rewarded. Think that because somebody does something, they deserve to suffer. They deserve to be punished. Very dangerous word. And put those two together. He's doing what he shouldn't. He deserves to. Okay, yes. Rewards are violent. Oh, yes. Because they are, they are a part of power over. They're one person trying to use the power that they have over another person. See, so I have some money and you don't have. So I say, okay, if you do this, I'll give you the money. 
you need to eat. I say, I'm not going to give, you know, unless you do this, you, you, I'm not going to give it to you. That's a way of using power over people. If you want to see the violence of rewards, go into that a little bit more. Read Alfie Cohn's book. Alfie Cohn. Punished by reward. You want to see how violent the DE word is, the deserve word, you see. Read Walter Kaufman. Without guilt and justice. He's a philosophy professor, was a philosophy professor at Princeton. First half the book. He just says, from a philosophical point of view, just in terms of pure logic, pure, rational, clear thinking, that D.E. word, deserve, violates every principle of clear thinking. To think that anybody deserves anything, he shows in the first half of his book, violates every principle of clear thinking. Then in the last half of the book, he shows then that it's no secret that our judicial system, our correctional system, is suicidal because it's based on a totally irrational concept that people deserve to suffer for what they've done. So even though our own judicial system, our own statistics show that people are more violent when they get out of our prisons than when they go in, we never learn about this. It's hard to, it's hard to see that any time you use punishment, it never works. Not if you're conscious at two levels. If you ask yourself two questions, you will see that punishment cannot work. Question number one, what do we want the other person to do? If you ask only that question, it tricks you into thinking that punishment sometimes works. Because sometimes through the use of punishment, you can get somebody to do something. But ask the second question, and you see it never works. Second question, what do we want the other person's reasons to be for doing what we want them to do? Ask those two questions, no more punishment. Same with reward. Yeah. How about um, setting boundaries for children? Let's set boundaries. It's very important, but not for children, for any human being. Any human being who is violating a need of yours and is unwilling to negotiate about it, tell them what you are going to do and do it. Use protective use of force. But do that with everybody. Don't think that's just with children. We all need clarity. If, if, you're, if a basic need of yours isn't getting met in your relationship with me, and I'm not willing to talk about it, tell me what you're going to do to protect yourself and do it. But don't use any punishment. Don't get that mixed up with punishment. No, children do not need punishment. And children do not lead boundaries. All human beings need boundaries in the way that I'm describing it. What about a privilege that is given <laughs> within that boundary? What do you mean by a privilege? Uh, um, a reward? The use, the use of a vehicle yes. when following certain boundaries that I have. So you have a car, and if anybody's going to use your car, you would like them to agree 
to drive it without drinking any alcohol. Or using drugs. Boy, you're a hard mother to live with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then I would say that at the, mo at the next time I see you using any drugs while you're driving, I will no, I will no longer give you my car. I'm not so trying that's not punishment. I, it depends. If you think they're wrong and you want to make that rascal suffer, yes. If you have in your thinking that they were wrong and you're trying to punish them, but it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like you would like to protect some property of yours. And well, mostly him. Or, or, or to protect him, you see, or to protect him. So if that's your only intention, you're not intending to make him suffer, I would say it's a protective use of force not the punitive. The other person may see it as punitive. That's another issue. Mm -hmm. if, if persons only know punishment, of course they're going to they're gonna have trouble making this differentiation. The main thing is that we see the difference. Mm -hmm. That we make sure we never take any action that's intending to make another person suffer. Whenever that's our intention, we're going to create more violence on this planet, which is not what we need on this planet. Yes? Is it the same criminal concept for rewards? I hope I don't. I hope I don't. I hope you don't give me that money as a payment. I hope you give it to me to nurture what I am doing. I hope you see that money as a gift. I hope you don't see it as payment. I wish we had the time to go through that every time somebody gets a book. The only thing is it usually takes me an hour to make this clear to people, so I don't know how I, I can get that hour with everybody who wants to I don't want anybody to buy my book. I want them to have it. I wouldn't have written it if I didn't want them to have it. I hope people would realize that for me to have time to write things like books it, and to do the other work that I do, it would help me to give me some money. So I hope you didn't pay money for the book. I hope you gave me money for the book. How will you know the difference? You will have enjoyed it if you gave me the money. If you didn't, you won't enjoy giving it. So that's why I never try to give money if it's a payment. I try only to give money when it's a gift. Yes? How about grades? How about grades? The only purpose I see in grades is to maintain a caste system in our society and to hide it as a uh, meritocracy or a democracy. Now, when I was at the university, uh, I had a little trouble with this with the registrar. I still remember uh, the six-week mark when I was teaching at a university in St. Louis. Registrar comes to my office. Dr. Rosenberg, your grades have not been handed in. I said, you're very perceptive. Registrar did not like my humor. She repeats herself. The great, your grades have not been handed in. Yes, I'm well aware of that. Why? I'm choosing not to give grades. But you have to. Bureaucratic language, you have to. Isn't this foolish? She's telling me I have to. I haven't done it. Obviously, I don't have to, right? <laughs> Can you hear anything crazier than that? A person telling me so? You have to. I I'm choosing not to give grades. Why? It's against my spiritual beliefs. Why? I said, half the students at this university are black, half are white. Blacks get 80% of failing grades. 
I choose not to participate in any evaluation scheme that differentiates on the basis of race or culture. Also, research shows that the more grades are given, the more students lose perspective on the worth of what they're learning. So then they learn not for the value of what they're learning, but for the extrinsic rewards, which of course is what is the purpose in a jackal culture. You want people to get used to working for extrinsic rewards, things like salaries, so they'll be able to pollute the environment or do anything else as long as their boss tells them to do it. And they get their reward, so that's what you want to train them for in schools. So how did you train them? Well, this one, I said the one area that they said, but we, we have to have accountability. And I said, now that, I share the university's desire at that level. We do need to know whether people have learned what you know, the course involves. I said, I will give you at the end of the course of instruction a measurable assessment of what students could do at the end that they couldn't do at the beginning. In this respect, I'm far more accountable than a teacher who gives you a C or a D. You don't know what that student can do. You will know what each of my students can do at the end that they couldn't do at the beginning. So because of that, I was being more accountable so they didn't fire me for that. <laughs> they fired me because they didn't like my friends. I was working with street gangs at the time, and this was a college. We were preparing teachers to work in the inner city. I had some members of the gang come into my class and educate the students. The students evaluated this session, incidentally, as, as very valuable. That these that they really learned a lot about why kids in the inner city weren't learning. But the university had a rule that said that uh, these people weren't qualified to be brought in as guest lecturers. But, uh, so uh, it was on that basis that... Uh, <laughs> <coughs> that was not a problem. I, was, I wasn't expecting to stay along, around very long. <laughs> the, the administrator that got me in there asked me to come in and kick ass a little and stir things up and so <laughs> well, he knew he knew I wasn't going to last long and I didn't really want to teach long I just wanted to get some things started okay so now uh, everybody's anybody else uh, want to read off what the cause of your anger is I hope everybody sees that the cause of our anger is always the same it's that we are playing a game called punitive God. See, that's the cause of anger. See, when we, when we go up to our head and judge the other person as irresponsible, selfish, stupid, it, this is a game that's been played for several centuries, you see, where somebody thinks they know what's right, and they know what's wrong, and that they know who deserves to suffer. So I call that game punitive God. So we are playing the game punitive God when we are angry. It feels like there's a toggle switch between anger and hurt. So if someone says, you need to be criticized, I feel hurt and I feel angry. It's not just one feeling, and I'm kind and yes. I'm curious what you'd say about that. Because if for any moment 
you get connected to the need, then you feel hurt. But then, if the next moment, you then go back up to the jackal judgment and start to judge the other person. So that means your attention is split. Part of you is connected to your need. And the hurt is because you have a need for more respect or something like that. That might be the need. It's at the bottom of it. But the anger tells you that your full attention is not on the need. So you can never be feeling anger and still be needing if you're feeling anger, you would say your thinking is always divorced from needing respect? It, there's always a part of your consciousness that is not on the need. It is up in your head playing the game punitive God. When our full attention is on our needs, it's impossible to be angry. No matter what the person is doing to you, to you, you cannot be angry if your full attention is on either your need or the other person's need. I hear the same thing about almost every country I work in, in which people are afraid that if they don't get angry, they're going to be passive and not deal with the oppression they're mm -hmm. dealing with. So mm -hmm. the problem is, uh, yes, we do. If we have a need for health, we need to mobilize ourselves and have our full energy going into mo mobilizing that. But I think we'll have more energy if we get connected to what our need is and not have part of it distracted. Because I think the energy that comes from anger is not really a fully life-serving energy. But if you compare it to nothing, see, this is what people are afraid of. If I don't get angry, I'm going to have no, I'm just going to be passive. But if your full attention is here, you'll have plenty of energy. But it won't be anger. But I think it'll be more, more healthy. Yeah. I wrote down that um, when, um, when the person says their jackal thing to me, when she says that I feel angry because I have a need to be appreciated and respected. Yeah. Uh, I guess I, I'm having a little difficulty. I, I, see I don't think you get angry because your need for appreciation and respect isn't getting met. For example, if I come along and I, be, I say to you, get out of my way, idiot. And for whatever reason, you think maybe his wife died and he's in mourning. I don't think you'd feel angry. What Even I though your need wasn't getting met for respect and so forth, it wasn't getting met. But I don't think you'd be angry because you would probably tell yourself something different than what you're telling yourself if you're angry. So you still haven't answered my question of the cause of your anger. Just because your need for respect doesn't get met doesn't make you angry. I think, I think what my experience is is that I have um, Anger is the first thing that comes into my awareness. Yes. And then if I look at it more closely, there's hurt underneath it and fear. Yes. But it's like they, they both or all three or maybe others coexist at the same time. I think and they anger do. Anger is the one that's the first clue. It's kind of like pain. But, but the first thing that it, it, you're, you're, I agree with you, it's usually the first thing we're aware of. But it's not the first thing that happens. The first thing that happens is what I'm asking you to get at now, which you haven't gotten at yet. And that's why I'm pushing you to get at it because it needs to be gotten out into the light. And that is, I think, you need to be clear what is making you angry. It's not that your need isn't getting met. What are you telling yourself? Yeah, some, some jackal thoughts. 
Yeah. But that's the first thing that came. But your jackal, your inner jackals speak so rapidly. Right. And it's been in there so long that right. very often you're not conscious of it. Right. But I, I'm just I'm wondering if it can you know, I can. I, for some reason, m I want to make the distinction between like depression, guilt, and shame, which seem like they're like really unproductive or counterproductive um, um, roads to go down. Whereas anger, even though it's not productive in the sense of, uh, I'm saying of all of these are productive, can be productive if you do the following work. If first you identify the thinking that is making you feel this way. And if you use these feelings as an alarm clock to tell you that part of your connection to your needs is being blocked by life-alienated, violence-provocative thinking. Let me repeat that, you see. These feelings are valuable if you use them as an alarm clock. I get it. Thank you. You got it. Okay. And when you use it as an alarm clock and get connected here, you will have more energy, not less. But the energy will be directed toward getting your need met, not to blaming and punishing yourself or others. Yeah. So getting back just to, to needs, mm -hmm. I would, as far as I can see, I would think that, mm, I think as human beings, we want to get more, at least for myself, mm -hmm. more pleasant experiences or the ex kind of experiences I want and less unpleasant experiences. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, as far down as I can see, that seems to be just very, very core. Do you think that's true? And how does that, I'm just trying to look at really, we keep talking about needs. I'm wondering if there's sort of like these core, deeper, really getting down into what's our real needs. Well, I like the way you summarized it, and I think if I understood what you're saying, it's not too different than what I hear the Dalai Lama saying or many other people saying, that our basic need is to enjoy life. And what then? How can we enjoy life if our needs aren't getting met? So to enjoy life is to get our needs met in a way that doesn't create problems for us later. See? Giraffes are cheap. They don't like to pay for getting their needs met. That's right. I'm apart from my situation yes. for the moment. Even We're coming I'm back to it. I know we are, but I'm still connecting up to what they're saying. I mean, take a an oppressed group of people who or people who are hungry every day for years and years yes. and years and die and die and yes. die, and yes. they never get their need met. Yes. They never get it yes. met. Why? Yes. So they they know they're hungry. That's their first basic need. They're real need. hungry. They're real hungry. And and if I they, don't blame them for being angry about it. <laughs> I hope I don't blame them, because then I would be perpetuating the cycle. I hope I don't hear, no one in here hears they're being blamed if they get angry. I'm saying if they get angry, they're less likely to get fed, more likely to get killed. And then when I say that to them, which incidentally I work in a lot of places where I'm working, just about two weeks ago I was working with people from eight African countries. and. Mm -hmm. and uh, the hunger was only one of the things that they saw. They were mm -hmm. the biggest issue they wanted to deal with me. What do you do when they're putting your people in concentration camps? Yes. That was the, yes. What do you do when these uh, people, uh, and they had a whole bunch of judgments of these people. 
that were putting the people into. And I said, first thing you need to do is transform all enemy images into needs. You're going to have no power with people until you can translate your enemy images. So, do you think these people are oppressive pigs? Yes! Okay, then we got to work on that. <laughs> then we got to work on that. You see, because as long as you see that, you're more likely to generate counterviolence than cooperation. So the first step, this was on this was a workshop on social change. These were these people were not interested in individuals, they were interested in gangs of individuals. Gang some gangs call themselves gangs. Mm -hmm. Some gangs call themselves multinational corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, some gangs call themselves governments. Uh, but, so they were interested in how do you deal with gangs? Gangs that you see creating great violence. Okay, the first thing is get rid of any enemy image of the gang members. Because if, as long as you think there's something wrong with the gang members, uh, you'll create more violence, I predict, than cooperation. So we're supposed to like it that they're putting our people in concentration camps and not feeding them? And I'm not asking you to like it. I'm asking you to do more than that. I'm asking you to be able to see that that's the most wonderful thing in the world that these people could be doing. What? <laughs> then I explain. <laughs> you see. And it has to be sincere. Explain. <laughs> when I work in, uh, with my colleagues that I work at in uh, Sierra Leone, uh, we're looking at why would this person take a six-year-old child and hack off the arm? If you think that's evil or bad, I'm suggesting you will create more violence. Good business. Good business. <laughs> so the first thing is to realize, to be conscious, that the person who does that does it for the same reason that you and I do everything we do. Is that clear? Each moment, every human being is doing the best they can at that moment to meet their needs. So this, whatever this, and, and whatever need they have, I know also that you and I have that same need, because needs are universal. See, so until we can start by trying to empathize with what need is this person meeting by doing this, until we can connect with that. As long as we think there's something wrong with this person, that they're bad, we're going to approach it in a way that I think we have less power and more chance to cr create counter-violence. Now, notice what I just said does not mean I have to like that behavior. It means I have to see the humanness of the person who's doing it. Now, I do not ask these people in Sierra Leone to do this first. Not until we've empathized with their feelings about it. You see, I wouldn't want to even think of getting them to empathize with why somebody has cut off the arms of one of their children until they've healed from the pain that that's created for them. So I'm not suggesting that we start with that. But then I'm saying if we really want to change this in a way that doesn't create more violence, we need to get rid of enemy images and connect 
with what this person's needs are that are being met by cutting off children's arms. Yes. I find it um, more useful to think of it in terms of the need that the person is trying to get met because um, in my thinking, the need isn't actually getting met by yes, cutting I off the I would arm. agree with you. It may or may not. What is there in, What need are they intending to get met by doing this? Yes. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm unfor unfortunately to say uh, one of the needs that was being met by chopping off the arms of the children did work. It was getting met. A need to get attention and more political power, uh, call attention to their suffering. So the man that's now given a vice president role in Sierra Leone, it was his troops cutting off the arms and uh, get this to stop. They basically rewarded him with a position in the government. So in this sense, it works. Yes. Now, they're going to pay for it. See, yeah. they got one need met, but there's other needs that I think they're going to pay for dearly for that. But in this, but other times that we intend it, it doesn't even meet the need we intended it to meet. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this gets exactly to what I was getting at about needs, that for this person who wanted, had said, had a need for more political power, or whatever you just said. Yes. Is that really a need? We have a need for more power. All of us have a need. Right. So more security, more safety, but there's something... More, more than that, we have a need to manipulate our environment. See, the problem is, in our culture, the use of power, the way we've been, we try to meet our need for power and to manipulate, sounds exploitive and violent because we're used to a particular form of power usage and manipulation. In fact, we can't survive without power and ability to manipulate. That by itself is, is just a human need. But how do we meet that need? If we meet it through punishment, reward, that's a whole other issue. But the need itself for power, we all have it. So, or is it the need for power or is it just a need to be okay? No, it's a need for power. It's we need, need to control, have be able control. Again, control in our culture gets seen as a dirty thing because we're associating it with a certain a domination. Mm -hmm. But we all, our need is to we have to need have have some control, some power with our environment. Or this is a pretty scary world if we don't have some power. Yeah, but do we have any power control, or is it just just an illusion anyway? I think we have enormous power if we speak giraffe, if we if we are interested in power with people. 